Hello, this is episode 293 and in it, I'm talking with Jeremy Spencer, who is a builder, thermal performance assessor and co-owner at Positive Footprints. Now, long-time listeners to the podcast will remember Jeremy's previous appearance in episodes 232 and 233. He came on to talk about low-carbon and zero-carbon homes, working with sustainable builders, also his work in Positive Footprints and more broadly across the industry, Uh, where he really does educate and improve knowledge and execution in this area. Now, he's back in this series on the National Construction Code to help us understand more about the upgrades to NCC 2022, the new seven-star rating, and what will impact your ability to achieve it, and in particular, the introduction of a whole-of-home scheme for energy performance. My conversation with Jeremy is going to run over this and the next two episodes because he shares so much wisdom detail and actionable information. I wanted to make sure that you could grab all of it. It is seriously useful knowledge for anyone who is building or renovating and especially for anyone who needs to know more about achieving seven stars and the whole of home rating system. Now remember if you'd like to grab a full transcript of this episode plus information on the resources we discuss and I've put loads of links into the resources for these episodes you can do that by heading to www.undercoverarchitect.com forward slash 293. That's the numbers 293. Now, let's dive in. I begin by acknowledging the traditional owners of country throughout Australia, and I recognise the continuing connection to lands, waters, skies and communities. I pay my respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures and to elders both past and present. If we haven't met before, I'm Amelia Lee. Based in northern New South Wales, Australia, I'm a wife, mum and architect and I've worked in the architectural industry for over 27 years now. Having worked on over 250 projects, mainly residential family homes, as well as significantly renovating three homes of my own with my hubby, whilst our three kids were babies, toddlers and even older, I have a personal and professional understanding of the joy, challenges, stresses and excitement of making your family home a reality. In mid-2014, I started Undercover Architect, and it's an online business to help and teach homeowners like you how to get it right when designing, building and renovating your family home. Undercover Architect is all about giving you access to the industry knowledge and insights you need to avoid the mistakes and dramas that can cost you thousands, tens of thousands and even hundreds of thousands of dollars. And it's about levelling the playing field so that the world of renovating and building doesn't seem so mysterious and you can be the active driver in your project, navigating it with know-how and confidence. Undercover Architect helps and teaches homeowners through this podcast, the website and our online courses and programs, including my flagship program, Home Method. I truly believe that when you know the questions to ask, the steps to take and the best way to create a home that works, feels great and that you feel great in, you can enjoy the process of building and renovating as well as the home that you move into at the end of this ambitious journey. Consider Undercover Architect your secret ally, whoever you're working with and whatever your location, your budget or your dreams. Grab access to my free online workshop, Your Project Plan, and learn super helpful information to save time, money and stress in your reno or new build. You can find it at undercoverarchitect.com forward slash project plan. That's P-R-O-J-E-C-T-P-L-A-N. Now, let's get on to the episode. So before I jump in, let me just remind you about Jeremy Spencer, Positive Footprints, or perhaps you'll be meeting him for the first time in this episode. So Jeremy is a longtime builder, 
Thermal Performance Assessor and Co-Director with his wife Chi Lu at design and building company Positive Footprints. Positive Footprints is a multi-award winning construction company dedicated to making high-performance sustainable homes and renovations easy to achieve and affordable. And his company has worked for two decades to show that energy efficient design and high-performance construction is a cost-effective option and can be a mainstream reality. Jeremy currently sits on the Design Matters National Board, the NatHERS Stakeholder Stakeholder Committee and the Board of Directors for Builders Declare. And he's an annual judge at the National Sustainability Awards. He's helped create the True Zero Carbon Challenge and designed and presented programs with Sustainability Victoria and the SA Government to educate industry on how to achieve a seven star plus design and net zero outcomes on the ground. An educator and previous master builders green living instructor, he is passionate about making low carbon sustainable housing a mainstream reality in the residential sector. So let's jump into my conversation with Jeremy now. Jeremy, it's so great to have you back on Undercover Architects podcast. I know that uh, listeners loved the previous episodes that I've done with you. And I know that what we're going to be talking about on today's episode is uh, really in your zone of genius. There's going to be, you're going to be able to share loads of uh, helpful information for our listeners in regards to this information, so what we're going to be discussing. Before we dive into that, though, I wanted to ask you, you know, uh, we've obviously heard in previous episodes about you and about positive footprints, but I was really interested when I listened to a recent episode of Sustainable Builders, Yak, you're one of the founding members of uh, Builders Declare. You guys are forming the Sustainable Builders Alliance together and, uh, um, you know, getting that uh, together, which is going to be really exciting as well. Um, But the episode that you did where uh, Brian actually interviewed you and some of the other founding members and to hear your background that you'd actually initially studied politics, I think it was, and that you were actually looking at being you wanted a pathway to being a diplomat and then you decided instead um that that wasn't for you you went and became you started teaching woodwork and then from there you went into owner building and then becoming a builder it's quite an unconventional pathway into a builder's license most builders I think become a tradesperson they become a chippy and then they get their builder's license and I actually think from when I heard it, I was like, oh, that makes so much sense from what I know about Jeremy and how he shows up in the industry and what he does and how he how he shares and teaches and those kinds of things. How do you think your kind of unconventional pathway has perhaps changed the type of builder that you might be and and how that, you know, has you showing up in the industry and in your work? Mm, well, first of all, I've been smiling while you've been speaking just uh thinking that I had a zone of genius. I, I, I didn't know this. <laughs> no one's ever told me before. So thank you very much. <laughs> uh, all right. So look, I, um, yeah, I know a lot of builders and, and the conventional pathway is you become a chippy and you move on or trade and, and you move on to becoming a builder. And uh, I, I spent some time on that podcast that you're referring to uh, waxing lyrical about just how, um, how great it was as a pathway to be a, to be a, a carpenter um, because you see the broad range of what happens from go to woe and uh, it, it's just such a good foundation of understanding the the residential building industry and uh, and then moving on to becoming a builder uh, and then having said all that saying that no that, that wasn't actually my pathway so <laughs> I I think the way that I got into it is that uh, I had a very clear goal about what I wanted. It, it it happened after I'd been teaching for a while. I decided that I, I I wasn't quite getting fulfilled with that and I wanted to do something more with my hands. I knew that. It was at the time when I was looking for a home. I was settling down with, with my wife and, and as you do, you start looking for homes. And 
uh, I had done, I'd also done in that university course, environmental geography. So I understood that climate change was a thing and it was coming. And this was back in the early nineties um, or well, mid, mid nineties at that stage. And so I got quite, quite inspired with the idea of, could we provide a house product that had a low impact, had a low carbon impact, but was broadly sustainable. And there were, I was in Adelaide at the time, there were some designers who that was their thing. They were aficionados of passive solar design. I'd gone out and looked at their projects. Fantastic. But there was no builders offering the product. Uh, and there was actually a big disconnect. I, I looked into the idea of putting together a design team and a, and a builder and, and all the things that your listeners, are, are, you know, think about. And I thought to myself, this is just too hard. And uh, I talked over my wife and we both got inspired actually at that stage to say, yeah, this is, this would be a good thing to, to have, to do with our lives and, and to, to achieve. So, okay. We had, we had the vision that then led to, well, if we're going to do this thing, we need to know how to design a house. So my wife went back to take to become a designer. Okay. We've got designs that look nice, but do they actually function? Right. I had to go and learn about thermal performance. I'd done a cert four in um, energy efficient building design. Uh, and I was voraciously looking through anything that was about passive solar design, any books, any articles. I, I had my highlighter out. I've still got, you know, just reams of things that have been highlighted and sitting in a corner. Uh, so I, I was, I was, I was learning that. Okay. We, we now know how to design a passive solar home and it looks great. Um, but as we, as we, we want to include a lot of things that were, that were really cutting edge at the time. So we were, we were looking at flushing toilets with rainwater. You know, this is before there were products to actually do it. Uh, so th that was a bit strange. We looked, we, and grey water, we had to explain to a plumber what grey water was. And we actually spent a long time with one of the councils trying to get them to put in a, uh, a reed bed sewer system. So we, we want to do these things. And I, I realized quite quickly speaking to builders that there was no builder who knew how to do this stuff. And if I wanted to do it, I had to become the builder. Otherwise, just the, the learning curve for a builder on any of these jobs and things that we were trying to do was, was too big. And that, so there'd be a huge margin that would be put on. So, okay, so now I, I go off to become a builder. So now I'm a builder. Now I've got designs, and now we now we know how how to do energy ratings because that was part of uh, part of what I, I learned to be an energy rater. Um, actually, when uh, studied one of the one of the very first people to do the accurate software, and I still uh, still use the same well the advanced <laughs> version of the same software. It's a bit clunky, but uh, gets the job done. So I start being a builder and uh, we start one of our designs. Now um, I'm an owner builder at that stage. I've done a couple of uh, master builders. Uh, I did the master builders cert for, I did the homes Glen cert for both of those brought other skills to the table. The, the master builder one was very good with how to run a building business. The homes Glen one was very good about the code and how to actually build, you know, but as soon as I started doing the owner building, uh, I was then finding, okay, now I'm just bringing in trades and I've got to explain to the trades what I want. And I've got to communicate, you know, a, a certain level of quality with the insulation, with the wrap, you know, with, with, with different things, uh, with, with getting toilets to flush and explain to the plumber how I wanted, you know, the pipes to run. And, and it was just, it was just difficult. And so I quickly realized, hang on, I need a, I need a project manager and I actually need my own little team that I have upskilled and understand how I want to build the, pro the, the, the product I want to create. So 
hence we we got project management we got a carpentry team and um and then we pulled on uh you know an electrician plumber and 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 trades that we worked with a bit and we upskilled them and they became sort of part of our little positive footprints family and so i i guess sort of to answer your question i mean that was my pathway i i think that the what that's given me is sort of a microcosm of the residential design industry in my little company especially the sustainable residential design industry and i've used uh you know i've used natters i've used all the the standard building products and i've been able to put them all together to produce homes that produce more power than they use you know very very sustainable homes I, I believe and so when I look out into the industry today it's it's reasonably easy for me with that background to be able to see where things aren't working and 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 what knowledge needs to be you know in certain areas and 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 what needs to change in different areas so it just gives me that that ability to get my little microcosm and, and, and apply it more broadly I guess. I think too, it's a pathway that put you at the coalface of what your potential clients were dealing with as well. So in terms of you getting in the kind of mind's eye of, of the people you were going to be serving, it was great market research. <laughs> oh, a hundred percent. But it's, um, when, when I look back on it, it is, it is, there was a lot of lessons to learn and every time those lessons cost money. <laughs> so I, 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 I look at my carpenters on site and I'm, I'm somewhat jealous of them. Um, you know, we, we're, we're very proud of, of how we lead our, our, our apprentices. We, we, we build them up. We teach them every step of the trade. And by the fourth year, we actually get them to lead projects. And, um, you know, I wish I'd had that sort of, uh, that sort of background. <laughs> Fantastic. Thank you for taking us through that. I think it's really interesting, you know, because uh, you do so much work in the industry to educate and and uh, illuminate the things that not only industry needs to know, but homeowners need to know. You give a lot of your time to lots of different kind of avenues in terms of design matters and and uh, Builders Declare and now Sustainable, you know, Builders Alliance. So I think it's really great to get some, you know, behind the curtain of, of what got you to where you are. So now, diving into the National Construction Code, so I'm actually going to read out some information so I make sure I cover everything. So there's obviously uh, been changes that have been that are coming in the National Construction Code that we've been seeing over the last several months. We've been seeing over some time coming in in different in different ways into different states. And I want to just quote the Australian Building Codes Board about the updates that have been made to residential energy efficiency in the code. Um, and so what they outline is that there's A, the minimum level of thermal performance has increased to the equivalent of seven stars under the National House Energy Rating Scheme, which is NATHERS. B, that a new annual energy use budget has been introduced for the first time, which is based on the societal cost of energy. And C, the annual energy use budget applies to the heating and cooling equipment, hot water systems, artificial lighting, swimming pool and spa pumps, and on-site renewable energy systems such as rooftop photovoltaics or PV. And so this is what is being now called the whole of home uh, rating in terms of our NatHurst. So the answer is uh, C. <laughs> so can you take us through this, how this scheme is going to work? And what's changed to what homeowners and industry might be used to in terms of what, what they've been previously navigating in regards to, you know, all of this NATHERS and energy efficiency ratings? Okay. So um, first of all, I'm sure most of your savvy listeners will know about the STAR ratings, which are currently out. 
And uh, star ratings currently six stars under the National Construction Code. They're going to be moving that to to seven stars, as you as you just read out there. The um, I mean, the stars were always good, but the limitation of stars was it just looked at the heating and cooling of the house. Um, it's basically just a, a measure of how well a house is designed for its climate. Yeah, and and so how much uh, extra heating and cooling will be needed to maintain comfortable temperatures the the software itself inputs all the data about the house uh, the the climate files simulates the house running over a year predicts the temperatures in the different rooms every half an hour for 365 days uh, and if the temperatures aren't already comfortable works out how much extra energy needs to be put into those rooms to heat or cool them to say 20 degrees comfort sort of average temperature um, that there are different temperatures, but uh, anyway, that's what it does. And then it just accumulates the energy together and slots it into star bands and gives you a star rating. And it's uh, the more stars it is, it's really just a measure of how well your house is passively designed, I guess, for the climate. Now, that gives you some indication of, of perhaps how much it might cost a home to run but not a huge indication because it does depend on the the heating and cooling the efficiency of the units that you actually put in to do it and then of course beyond heating and cooling there's hot water and there's all the different appliances that go into your house and where if, if if you look at the the energy use in a home heating and cooling on average across australia if you average all of the australian states together heating and cooling accounts for a third approximately of the energy that you use in a home um, if you're in a cooler state okay heating and cooling is tends to be a bit bigger might approach half of the energy if you're in a warmer state uh, it might be a little bit under a third but on average uh, about a third and what that means is that, that there's there's always been this huge area that just was not assessed and uh and now will be assessed so this is this is really good news and where it's leading it's leading to potentially a report that can give owners an indication of how expensive their homes are going to be to run at least an indication of that um and 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 you can sort of almost compare two different reports now home a and home b and and get a sense that oh home b is going to be you know more efficient than home a to uh to live in and um and to upkeep from a yeah from from an energy point of view anyway so that that's sort of what the the whole of home is do you want me to go through um how it sort of works yeah for sure i'd love okay. to okay all right yeah. all right all right uh, and just uh it break in at any time if um if what i'm saying doesn't make any sense or needs more clarification because it's uh, there's a little bit to it so there's two things first of all um we're moving from six stars to seven stars so seven stars will be the minimum and that is uh that's all just about the thermal shell of the house as i just said then um in practical terms, this is what you're going, the information that your designer or you yourselves are going to need to put on the plans for a whole, to get a whole of home rating. You're going to need to put on the heating and cooling plant that you're using. So that is the, the brand and the maker model. Uh, you're going to need to put on the hot water system that you use. Now, hot water, um, if, if we're thinking before about how much energy, where the energy goes in a home, um, just very quickly, uh, you can imagine, if you imagine a pie graph, like a circle, and you divide it into three, like I said, a third approximately on average goes to heating and cooling, a third 
approximately goes to hot water. A third approximately goes to the rest of your appliances. Now, these are just, they're not a third, a third, a third, but I'm just making it easy and clumping it into three bits. And for the sake of that, does lighting sit in your appliances? Yes. Yep. Okay, cool. Yep. For the sake of that, lighting and cooking sit in in the appliances, in that sort of third, third, third um, way of thinking about things. So your hot water choice is, is going to be important. Um, to the overall performance, but you need to put, your designer will need to put on to the plans what hot water system, what the brand is and what the make and the model. The reason that um, that they need to put this information on, because they're going to need to pass that to a thermal assessor, an energy assessor. Let's call them an energy assessors now because they're not just thermal anymore. They're all, they're the whole deal. Uh, and the they're going to pull up the specifications and they're going to put the um, energy uh efficiency of the units into the model as well if your 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 designer should be notating on the plans whether you're going a gas cooktop or an electric cooktop gas oven electric oven and they should also put in a lighting schedule um, just to say how many watts per square meter of lighting um, is in the house now there's also a, a huge thing a huge range of appliances that get plugged into a home over its life from everything from mobile phone to computers, those things the assessor doesn't deal with, but the software itself does. It um, puts in an average amount of appliance use based on the size of the dwelling that you're constructing. So bigger houses, it assumes that there's more people living in it and there's more appliance stuff going on. Smaller houses, uh, a little bit less. And then it will, once all that information's in, into the software, the assessment will then run. And it will, again, look at how what the energy efficiency of the shell is and how often heating or cooling is required. Then we'll look at the heating and cooling plant, the efficiency of that, and we'll work out how much energy is actually being used to supply that heating and cooling. It will, from the size of the house, it will give an approximation of how many people are living in it. And it will simulate them having showers um, throughout the year, turning light switches on and off and uh, cooking meals and basically just using general appliances. So it comes out with a figure. Let me let me explain what you're going to see on the report and I'll explain, yeah, I'll explain the figures because it, I, I would have hoped, originally I had hoped that it would come out with, you know, this home will, you know, cost somewhere around $3,000 a year to run or, you know, this home will cost $500. No, it's not quite as clear as that, mm-hmm. though the pilot tools were pointing in that direction. Uh, some politics has happened and it's become a little bit more obs- uh, you know, um, clouded as to the numbers, but I'll explain things. So that's sort of how the software works. Now, there's another thing that's going on. The, uh, the, CIS, the, the scheme requires all homes to be above what they're calling a benchmark home. And a benchmark home is exactly the same floor plan and design as your home, but it's got certain appliances. They're called benchmark appliances. It's got the uh, a ducted reverse cycle air conditioner, a three-star ducted reverse cycle air conditioner for heating and cooling. And it's got a five-star gas uh, instantaneous hot water system. And then whatever you did for your in your cooktop, it'll just use the same. And uh, for lighting, it'll put in five watts per square meter and the appliances it pulls up automatically. Now, it also includes if you do have a, a pool or a spa, uh, this is what I didn't say before. If you've, got a, if you've got a pool or a spa, pool pumps and spa pumps 
get inputted into the simulation as well, but not pool heating or spa heating yet. Those oh, two wow. are off, even though okay. they use a hell of a lot of yeah, energy. I've got to tip the scales. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I have a feeling we're just going a softly, softly approach to begin with. <laughs> There, there's look there's probably a, a lot of detail behind it and they haven't got their head around the calculations yet perhaps yeah, uh, so that's it and, <laughs> uh, yeah let's give them the benefit of the doubt um and and the PV, uh, any any power that you produce on site so if you put photovoltaics on your roof that actually acts as a credit and what you need to do you need to be more efficient than the benchmark home and not just more efficient you actually have to be 30% more efficient than the benchmark home, which, uh, which is not all that easy. It's actually quite a high bar because if you think about it, a three-star ducted reverse cycle system, okay, ducted systems aren't as efficient as split systems because of the ducting and you, and you lose heat through the, through the ductwork through the ceiling or floor. So typically not as efficient. Uh, however, that three stars is the new star rating. There's a new star rating for appliances and an old star rating that you might be used to. And the new star rating, a three star, is equivalent to a four and a half star in the old version. So if if you're still thinking four and a half star, then uh, yeah, that's that's what the three star is. So it's quite a high level. Um, with your hot water system, five star instantaneous okay, it's gas. You might have some views about gas, but that's pretty efficient unit, a five-star unit. They do go up to seven stars, yes, um, at, the really, at the really efficient end, but uh, five stars already pretty efficient. So you're starting from quite a high bar and you've got to get 30% more efficient than that. Now, in a lot of places, a lot of uh, climates around Australia, you'll be able to do that by specifying things like solar hot water or um, maybe a, a very efficient heat pump hot water system, and split systems, like I said, are typically more efficient. So you might be able to pass and be 30% more efficient than the benchmark home just by specifying those. But if you don't specify those, and in some more difficult climates, you might be required to put on some photovoltaics to meet that, to, to give you a credit, if you like, and, and meet that 30% efficiency. Uh, so that's sort of how the yeah, how the system works. Yeah, if I can play devil's advocate, because in a, like a black and white sense, if you're just looking at that at face value, understanding that it's nuanced and you comparing to the benchmark house and what you're specifically using. But, the you know, if you go back to that third, third, third that you mentioned of the heating and cooling, the hot water and the appliances, if it's if it's if the benchmark's using the same appliances that you are, then that's the third percent that you're giving away. Then you've got it's it's instantaneous gas mentioned you know representing a third of yours and then it's uh three star ac mentioning um compared to a third of yours and you've got to gain 30 percent then it's quite a it is a significant kind of uptick isn't it and so it's quite it's quite interesting to sort of see do you know why they made that call to sort of make it 30 percent better rather than saying you've got to hit targets and it's it's not a benchmark house and that kind of stuff so this, this all comes down to uh, a document called the Directory for Low Energy Homes that was signed off by the energy ministers, or can't remember now, 2017, something like that, <laughs> a while ago now. In that document, the energy ministers required the Australian Building Codes Board to reach what's called a net zero ready home 
by 2030. So by 2030, we should have homes that have an energy efficient thermal shell and are stocked with energy efficient appliances such that if you did put photovoltaics on the roof, you could get a net zero outcome, you know, a, a reasonable amount of photovoltaics on the roof. Now, in that document, there was two options. One is just to meet the benchmark home and the other one was to be 30% more than the benchmark home. And my jaw just hit the ground when they decided to choose the hard version. <laughs> I'm sure they'd just go for the easy one. But, you know, uh, stranger things do happen, I guess. Um, uh, so, who, Sorry, where does the benchmark home come from? Like, how's that? Is that so kind of... The, the benchmark home is your house with those appliances, with those efficient appliances. So it's exactly the same. It, it, well, no, it's a a seven-star version of your house. So just say your house actually rates up to eight stars or nine stars or whatever. It's a sort of a dumbback version to seven stars. And then imagine your house with seven stars with the benchmark appliances of a five-star gas instantaneous and a reverse, uh, a reverse cycle ducted heating cooling system. And that's what you're trying to, that's what you're trying to beat. And now you can, if obviously if your house is eight star or nine star, that gives you a bit of a, a bit of a benefit there. Um, you won't need as much energy for heating and cooling. So uh, you get a bit of a benefit there. Uh, if you're trying to um, get a good score, if you're trying to get a good, well, actually, maybe I should just go uh, back one step and explain what you're actually going to see on the report. Sounds good. What you're going to see on the report is, you're going to see a star rating as you as on the reports currently, which is just number of stars out of, out of ten. The star rating for those who don't know goes out goes from zero to ten, with a ten star house being one that theoretically needs no mechanical heating and cooling. Though in reality, temperatures can vary quite a lot, and uh, I wouldn't necessarily put no heating and cooling in a house. <laughs> anyway, then underneath on the report, underneath that, you're going to see a little bar graph. And the bar graph goes from zero to a hundred. Now the benchmark, the benchmark home is at 50. The 30% better is at 60. And then if you follow the little number scale all the way up to a hundred, there are three magic words there. And those three magic words are net zero home. Uh -huh. uh, and so this is the first time that we have a software that's recognized under the National Construction Code that gives you a pathway to net zero that can be used to achieve a, a net zero outcome. Uh, so, I mean, they're very, very small words. Not, not many people know that they're there, but they excite me a lot uh, when when I, I saw that. So, so yes, it, it, is, it is quite a high bar and uh, it's meant to be because you know, we've got to get a handle on how much energy we are using. And it's not that hard once you know what to do. In fact, I sort of predict that once this comes in, maybe a year after it comes in, more and more homes will find, hang on, uh, I, I, I can see how to actually get to net zero and to clear this bar and it, and it, and it becomes an easy process. And, and I predict that we're going to get a tsunami of net zero homes in the next two years or so. Because this is what you need to do, listener, if, if you want to get uh, the, the home that you're building, if you want it to be a net zero home, before I give you the secret sauce there, um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> why you're on tenterhooks at that end, why would you want to do it? Let's, let's just start with that. Why, why are we even trying to do this? And, and why do I think it's a good idea that I made a company that does it? And why do I think that you might want to do it too? The average home, the average dual fuel house 
if you average across Australia, once again, spends around about $2,400 a year these days with um, rising prices of electricity and gas. $2,400. Now, if you can get to a net zero home, you pretty much save most of that. You know, there's a there's some set um, costs uh, that just for having appliances connected, having your your uh, electricity say connected. But as far as the the usage, your usage drops hugely, and that's money in your pocket over the life of the house. So you can quite easily save, you know, eighteen hundred to two thousand dollars a year, especially if you get off gas and you only have the one connection fee. Uh, so there's that. The other thing is in using that energy or buying that energy, that $2,400 of energy, fossil fuels are burnt still to provide that. And that releases around about six tons of carbon dioxide for the average home. It's actually starting to drop a little bit as more coal-fired power plants are retired and more wind uh, and solar come online. But that's it's still quite a big load. So every year you're releasing, or you know, just by paying your bills, <laughs> uh, your fuel bills, you're, you're part of releasing that carbon dioxide into the atmosphere. So no one wants to release carbon dioxide. No one wants to pay $2,400. What they want is the service of the power that, that, they're, that they're after. So that's why I suggest you might want to do it. Okay, this is now we're up to how to do it. And that's it for part one of my conversation with Jeremy. Now, now you're going to be on Tenterhooks too after hearing Jeremy share why this matters. So I'd love you to join me for part two because Jeremy shares a lot of detail about what you need to know when it comes to this information. I really, you know, I thought about leaving it, but it, he just goes into a lot of detail and I really wanted to give it its own episode so that you have all the information that you need to understand this well and you can be really focused on listening to it and not just get lost into a bigger episode. Episode. I really love interviewing Jeremy because he has such deep and detailed knowledge on this subject matter. His brain is so seriously crammed full of so much information and he shares it so generously. So make sure you stay tuned for the rest of our conversation in part two and in part three. A few reminders for you before I finish up. So remember, if you'd like to grab a transcript of this episode, I've got a free download of it. Uh, it's loads of links and resources on this one as well. You can get all of that by heading to www.undercoverarchitect.com forward slash 293. And if you're a like-minded industry professional who is located anywhere in the world and you help homeowners renovate or build their homes in any capacity and you'd really like to work more closely with like-minded undercover architect community members, then I'd love you to check out the UA Army. It is free to join and you can find out more information about it by heading to undercoverarchitect.com forward slash army. That's A-R-M-Y. Of course, if you would like more structured help and guidance and to feel more confident and in control as you learn the steps from start to finish of your project journey and how to create a great home that you love living in, then Home Method will be the perfect place for you. In it, you'll join in a, a community of amazing and super informed homeowners who are all on a similar journey to you as well. They're incredibly generous and supportive too. And it's the only place where you can access my personalized support and guidance for your project as well. So you can find out more about Home Method by heading to homemethod.com.au and to the Undercover Architect website. Home Method is there as a menu item. As always, thank you for tuning in and for letting me be your secret ally. Until next time, bye.
Just a reminder, all content on this podcast is provided by Undercover Architect for reference purposes and as general guidance. It does not take into account specific circumstances and should not be relied on in that way. You should seek independent verification or advice before relying on this content in any circumstances, including but not limited to circumstances where loss and damage may result. The views and opinions of any guests on the podcast are solely their own and may not reflect the views of Undercover Architect. Undercover Architect endeavours to publish content that is accurate at the time it is published, but does not accept responsibility for content that may or has become inaccurate over time. Thank you.